How often do we listen to God slowly? Are we so frantic in life that we just jam by things and we, we come to church and we get this out of the way because we got a barbecue and there's fireworks tonight. How often do we sit there, let me just take this in. Let me meditate on this. Let me think on this. Let me listen to the word of God. Listen. Authentic faith requires listening to his word. Listen to his word. Ignore all competing voices. When you're in a quandary, no matter what your situation is, let the first thing you do be to consult his word. Listen to his word. Doing it. You got to do it. Listen to his word and do it. Listen to his word and do it. Authentic faith requires acting on his word as well. True religion is doing what his word says. Let's look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word so that you deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's pretty simple. Do what it says. Isn't this interesting? Today, this is the two things we're going to be talking about today. Listen to his word and do it. Listen to his word and do it. That's the whole message today. So easy to say. In fact, let's say it together. Listen to his word and do it. Very simple, right? So hard to do. Is it not? If it was easy to do, we wouldn't have any issues, right? Listen to his word and do it. This second section, it's only one imperative. This is the command. Become doers of the word. Become doers of the word. Make yourself a doer of the word. It's an imperative. Do it. And then he's going to give us an example and a contrast. And then a second example and a contrast. He's going to show us examples of this. Listen to his word and do it. Don't just hear it. Do it. So he gives us two negative examples, and then he gives us a contrast. Look, let's look at one of the, the first negative examples. Uh, oh, let's follow 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at his face, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So you have a situation where a man looks at himself in the mirror, looks at his reflection, and then leaves and forget what it looks like. Really, the idea is this is the idea is this. You don't want to be the person who looks, wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, leaves, and doesn't notice that your hair is sticking up in the back of your head. You know that socially behind person who does that? Or a person who leaves their house and half their shirt's tucked in and half their shirt's tucked out? You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be the person that wakes up in the morning, looks at the look at yourself in the mirror, and sees a big zit on your face, and then does nothing about it. Who does that? Ladies, master the art of putting makeup over it, right? Guys, pop it, right? <laughs> Put a band-aid on it. You do something about it. And this is my favorite one, as our middle school pastor would say. You don't want to be the kid who wakes up in the morning, looks at the mirror, sees a big booger on his cheek, and leaves it there. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> who does that? We look at the mirror as a reflection to see how we look, and then we change the imperfections. Some of us have more imperfections than change than others. Like for me, it takes two seconds. But the idea is there's a reflection. You change what's wrong. So let's see the contrast of that. Look at 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Look at his word intently, like it's a mirror. And remember the things that the mirror reveals to you, all the spiritual blemishes that you see. 
that you might have and then fix them. Fix them. Interesting here that it says the perfect law. It's a really interesting uh, thing here that you can use law and freedom in the same sentence. Law seems not to be anything that's free. How does that work? Well, the Old Testament law by itself wasn't perfect. It wasn't complete. You see, the law by itself could not give us freedom because it enslaved us to rules. But the New Testament, with Christ coming and fulfilling the law, now gives us the ability to do the things in the law. And so all of a sudden we can have law and freedom in the same sense because I actually have the ability to overcome my sin issues now in Christ. And so we have a perfect law. In Christ we have the power. In that sense, law and freedom can coexist. So do it is the idea. Do it. We have the ability to do it. Do it. Work on it. Fight. And in doing this, you'll be blessed. God promises that we'll be blessed. Now some of this is pretty practical. Very practical. If I don't have sex before I'm married, guess what? I'm not going to get anyone pregnant. Or be pregnant myself. I won't get an STD. In that sense, life will be better for me, will it not? This is pretty practical. A lot of God's laws are just practical. You know, I look at, um, I don't like doing this too often because I don't want to make myself the example all the time, but I look at my life and, 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 and the people who were teenagers with me, and I look at myself really desiring, and I'm not perfect, and I've messed up a ton of times along the way, and I need the grace of God like everybody else in his mercy to cleanse me of my sin. Don't get me wrong, but I was trying to live for God. I really was trying to live for the Lord and really took his word seriously, and if it said it, I would do it. I may not understand it, but I'm going to trust it. I'm going to do it. That was my attitude at 15, 16 years old. Once I came to Christ, for me, it was just a no-brainer. Why come to Christ and not, not live for him? I, I didn't even understand that concept because I had wrestled with whether or not I counted the cost. If I'm going to come to Christ, I'm going to do this right. If not, I'm not going to come to Christ. Now, God was working in me and doing all those things inside of me, but I'm just telling you, my experience was that what was going on. And I looked at myself, who was really sold out for the Lord, really trying to do it. I mean, I was still a cool kid. I wasn't trying to be a punk to everybody, but I was living for the Lord. And then I look at these friends around me that maybe were half-hearted for the Lord. And I look at these other students around me that were completely rebellious. for They didn't want anything to do with the Lord, really. And then I look now. We're in our 30s. Would I trade my life for any one of theirs? There's not a chance. I just feel like God's blessed me so much I wouldn't change it. You know, I didn't have to get a job, a minimum wage job when I was 18 years old like some of my friends did because they got girls pregnant and need to provide for their child. I actually got to go to school. And where we're at today is different. Not that God can't use them and not that God won't supply for them, but the blessing sometimes is just practical. Following his word, practically speaking, will bless you. Listen to his word and do it. Listen to his word and do it. You know, I was listening to this pastor um, online this week, and he had, actually gave a really neat illustration I thought it might be good to use here, so I'm going to rip it off of him. And 
Um, basically, he was saying how we as Christians sometimes, instead of doing what God's word says to do, we'll spiritualize the issue or we'll Christianize the issue. Rather than doing it, we'll Christianize it. And he says it kind of goes like this. Imagine my daughter coming to me. She's a teenage girl, and, and we're having this interaction, and I say to her, I want you to clean your room. And being a smart girl that she is, she says, you know, Dad, I, I really have taken time to think about what you said there. I just want to let you know that I'm not just merely glancing over it. Like, I'm thinking about it and meditating on what you said. I heard you. I know what you said. I know what you mean. In fact, not only have I heard you and, 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 and have thought about this, I have memorized your words. I memorized what you said, Dad. I took some time even. I went to a lexicon, looked it up in the Greek. I can say what you said in the Greek. And Dad, just so you know I'm serious, just so you know I'm not glancing over this, I want to let you know that I invited some of my girlfriends over this week. We're going to sit down in a circle and have a study on your words. And we're going to think of some ways to, 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 to do this. And he said, you know, you know what I'd say to my daughter if she said all that to me? I don't want you to hear me. I don't want you to memorize my words. I don't want you to transliterate the words. I don't want you to have a study about my words. I want you to do it. Go clean your room. Go and do it. And that's the same thing God wants from us. Don't just listen to it. Don't just memorize it. Don't just study it. Don't just have a Bible study about it. Do it. Do it. Don't deceive yourselves. You see, you know what we do when we Christianize it? We take a passage of Scripture and we memorize it, but we don't do it. We deceive ourselves. We think, well, I couldn't do it, so I'll just memorize it and meditate on it. But I don't do it. You're just deceiving yourself. It's fruitless. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying memorization is a bad thing. But the idea is do it. Do it. Do it in all situations. It's when you're a single woman and you're trying to wait on God to provide you with a godly man, but it hasn't happened yet. There's some gentlemen at your job, a workplace, who are vying for your attention, and, and usually you, you easily resist that, but you found yourself lately enjoying the attention. In fact, so much so that you've compromised and decided that you'd go on a date with this gentleman, because that's purely innocent, right? And finally, you find yourself desiring to be intimate with that person. But God, I didn't sign up for this situation. I wanted to do it your way. But I'm lonely. Be a doer of the word. Trust in him in all situations. And wait on him and he will bless you. You will be blessed. It's when your business partner comes to you and identifies that all your competitors are cutting corners in order to make ends meet in this crazy economy. And while he's recommending that you guys follow suit, you know that in your mind that this is more than being shrewd, this is bordering on being unethical. Because of the hard economic times, the trial, and your need to provide for your family, you find yourself considering this action, the temptation. God, I didn't sign up for this. I've built my whole business 
based on your values. And now our competitors are taking us out by cutting corners. If I don't do this, I'm going to go bankrupt. Is that what you want, God? Be a doer of the word. Trust him in all situations. Wait on him, and you'll be blessed. It's when you're a mother at home with your children and the walls are caving in on you. You remember the thoughts that came to your mind when you were younger and all the dreams that you had, and yet few of them have come to pass. You begin down the road to depression and you start thinking about things that are negative, helping only to spiral you down to an emotional low. And yet you know God's word says, take every thought captive. Control those thoughts. You know that God's word says, think on things that are holy, pure, and righteous. But you lost your will to fight. You've lost that doer mentality. Be a doer of the word. Trusting him in all situations. Wait on him. And you'll be blessed. Finally, we see a second negative example. Let's go to verse 26. If anyone considers himself righteous and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Here again we have somebody who claims to be religious and yet lacks evidence, the evidence that proves it. Religious, it would just be an observance of religious exercise or ritual observances or religious activities. Modern day equivalent would be something like wearing a cross on your neck. Having a religious tattoo, of course, I've, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a religious person. Look at this tattoo. I have a religious tattoo on me. Wearing a purity ring or attending church even. Or, or even a Bible study on some regular basis. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a religious person. I go to church once a month or so. You see, James is writing to a culture who uh, has, has been finding spiritual confidence in religious activities, even though their heart is far from God. This is a Jewish person who's been converted to Christ. They're very used to finding confidence in religious activities. I know I'm spiritually right with God because of the religious activities I do. Just see uh, Jesus in the book of Matthew. He's constantly fighting against the Pharisees, saying, listen, you've got all these extra rules. There's the Bible. You've added all these extra rules. They're called the tradition of men. You've added all these extra things, and the idea was, and maybe not a bad motive, if we don't even do the things, or, uh, these extra rules, we won't even get close to, to not doing the, the rules of the Bible. So I'm going to add these extra rules that make it even, it makes it easier for me not to, to fail on the word of God because I've got all these extra rules. So don't lust at a person, you've got people with blindfolds on. That's the extra rule. And basically what he's saying is, I don't care about any of these extra rules. I just want you to do his word. 
I want you, you've been so excited about doing all these extra rules, these fastings, these prayer times, these, these worship ideas, all these things that make you look spiritual. I want you to do his word. Do the word. Forget about all these extra things. So you come to church and you listen. But what are you doing with, with, with what you've heard? We used to tell our students all the time, you could be in a garage, it doesn't make you a car, and you can be in McDonald's, and it doesn't make you a Big Mac. You could be in church, and it doesn't make you a Christian. And then he says, for example, can you even hold your tongue? Can you even hold your tongue? Can you have a tight rein on your tongue? Really, the idea is, is can you bridle your tongue? You know what a bridle is? You put it in a horse, and the bridle allows you to control the horse. It does whatever you want by the way you tug on it because of the bridle in its mouth. And basically what he's saying is, can you bridle your own tongue? Can you even control your own tongue? With your mouth, you say you're religious, but with that same mouth, you falsify it. Could it be that they were struggling with blaming God for all their circumstances? Maybe. God, I didn't sign up for this. I just, I just love Jesus, and all of a sudden I could die for this? Why would you let this happen to me? God, in the midst of all this pressure, now I'm falling into temptation. If you wouldn't have allowed the pressure, I wouldn't have fallen into the temptation. This is your fault. Could be. Regardless, this person is not a doer of the word. Let's look at verse 27 to see the contrast. This is what a doer looks like. Verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the contrast. In fact, this is something that is not particular to the New Testament or the Old Testament. It is the heart of God in all of the Bible, in all of Scripture. God desires that the helpless and the vulnerable be helped. In fact, in the original, actually the idea is take care of my widows and my orphans. His widows, his orphans. When nobody else will claim them, when nobody else wants them, guess who wants them? God does. When they're worth no, nothing to anybody else, guess who has worth on them? God does. Basically, he says, I'll show you religious activity. Do this. Take care of the helpless and guard yourself from worldliness. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It can literally be said this way. Guard one's unstained self from worldliness. I like that. That's why I share it. Guard one's own unstained self from worldliness. This is undefiled religion. This is religion at its best. This is how you can know your religion is free from contamination. This is true piety. Be a doer of his word. Be a doer of his word. Now you have to, you can't go through this without catching the irony here. Here he is talking to these people who are downtrodden. They're discouraged. They're, they're failing in temptations. They're, 
they're feeling like the pressures of life are on top of them. They literally could die for, for, for claiming Christ. And he's telling them, I want you to take care of the orphans and the widows. I mean, can you imagine being in that situation? James, are you really telling me you want me to think outside of myself right now? I feel like I'm spiritually nothing right now. I'm falling to temptation. I feel like the waves are crashing in on me. I'm doing good to tread water. I feel like I'm drowning. Life has dealt me a rough hand. I could be beat at any moment. I could be killed at any moment. And you want me to think outside of myself? Are you crazy? Surely if there's any point in life when I could focus on myself, it's right now. When life is crashing down on me, I could, is it, do you think I could get a pass? Doesn't God have mercy for this situation? How does something, doing something for someone else, help me right now, James? I think it's a good question. I think it's fair. Several years ago, I was, um, again, in Los Angeles, I was going to school and um, a part of this really, really, really healthy church. And they were trying to get the people of the church excited about missions. And it was kind of a new focus for the church. And um, basically the way they were going to strategize to get the church excited about doing mission trips is to go on short-term mission trips themselves. And they started with Mexico because it was the closest. Now they go to Uganda. They go all over the world. They take 25 to 50 people and they go all over the place and I remember the first one because it was so special because it was the first one I did and they put the people on the stage, 50 people going down to Mexico and going to share the gospel, going to help this church and all these things they were going to do. And the strategy was to, take, to send a videographer down there as well, document all that happened and come back to the church and show the video to the church so that people could see and then they would get excited as well and they would want to do it. And sure enough, that's what they did and that, that worked really well. And I remember the first video, I'll never forget it because... They were going through and they were interviewing everybody who went on the trip and, and, and talking about their experiences, how much they enjoyed it, what they learned from it. And then they got to the very end of that video and there was this little lady there and uh, unassuming type of a lady gets on the screen and she says something like, you know, coming here really, really made me realize how lucky I am, how good my life is, how rich I am, how blessed I am. And then she started crying. And with her, everybody in the audience started crying. She said, I'm so blessed. I have three beautiful children. We have so much. I feel like a spoiled brat. And that's how they ended the movie. I remember going into that pastor's office the next week, the pastor who was in charge of this whole effort and emphasis on the church. And I just had to stop by. I said, Randy, that was the most powerful video I think I've ever seen in church. But that, the way you guys ended that video with that lady talking about how privileged she is, I don't think there's a person in the room that felt poor. And he looked at me and he said, Big Dave, you don't even know the half of it. So you see that lady's husband just left her and her three kids. The week before, she just lost her job and she was considering canceling the trip. She doesn't know how she's going to make it. Her husband has expressed no interest in helping her or being around. And he looked at me and he goes, 
This is the person who's so lucky. This is the person who's so blessed. That's your spoiled breath. You see, doing something outside of yourself sometimes can help us realize that our situation's not that bad. Doing something outside of ourselves can sometimes help us realize that our situation's not that bad. So what do I say? Listen to his word and do it. Don't let it be optional. Listen to his word and do it. Don't let yourself be deceived into thinking that your circumstance offers you a pass. Listen to his word and do it. In every situation, in easy times and hard times, trust in him and he'll bless you. Listen to his word and do it. Father, two simple directives. They're so simple to say, and yet they're so difficult to do. I would ask you for each and every one of us, Help us to listen to your word and to do it. In Jesus' name.